0: If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop the product, making any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible; it's often very
1: costly.
2: A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country
1: and ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, educators and innovators, welcome to the electrifying season 3 of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with your dynamic host Mike P and Dana We're not just here to make waves, we're here to ride the tidal waves of your incredible support to the 21,000 strong downloaders and listeners who joined us on this incredible journey. We tip our hats to you. Your unwavering enthusiasm and active engagement fuels the very heartbeat of our mission. This season, we're not holding back. We're unleashing a tsunami of valuable insights, strategies, and practical wisdom that will effortlessly weave into the tapestry of your educational institutions. Whether you're ready to implement change today or set sail on a journey of profound exploration, trust us, we got you covered. For the inside scoop of upcoming events and certification opportunities that rock your world, Point your browsers to iss.edu slash events. Are you ready to ride the podcast wave of a lifetime? Mike P and Dana are here to make it happen. Let the learning adventures begin. ISS.edu Learn Ask Me Anything Season 3. Dive in. Hello, dear educators and changemakers. It's a pleasure to welcome you to another exciting episode of EDU Learn Ask Me Anything, proudly presented by ISS EDU. I'm your host, Mike P., the educator's best friend, and joining me today is the ever insightful, my co host, Dr. Dana Speckerwatts, who serves as the Director of Learning Research and Outreach at ISS. Dana, how is the weather in your part of the world today?
2: Bold and sunny in Princeton, New Jersey today, but all is well.
3: Very nice to hear. We also have the voice of the audience with us today, who is Molly Faye, who is also serves as the customer support and technology coordinator at ISS. Welcome, Molly Fay.
2: Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be here.
3: And to all our listeners, we're thrilled to have you back. This is season three, episode 10 of our podcast. Your unwavering support warms our hearts as usual. So don't forget to subscribe, give us a thumbs up and share your thoughts with the review on your preferred podcast platform. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. Our mission is very clear to equip you with valuable insights and practical strategies for your educational institutions. This season is still packed with illuminating discussions and actionable insights that you don't want to miss. Stay tuned and in the loop for all our upcoming virtual events and certifications by visiting iss.edu slash events. And if you're on the lookout for new career opportunities, you can also explore our virtual and in-person job fairs. Thank you for being a part of our vibrant educational community. And without further ado, let's dive into an enlightened conversation for today. Today we have a special guest with us by the name of Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson has recently shared his wealth of knowledge and expertise through a course on EDU platform. The course delved into how schools can re envision and reimagine school safety by focusing on human connection. And our, so our discussion today will be centered around reimagining school safety. But before we get started on the actual topic, just a little bit more about Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson is the CEO of Clear Path Alerts LLC also doing business as ClearPath EPM in Fort Lauderdale. He's a leader in safety technology and consulting for diverse institutions. After a distinguished career in diplomatic security with the U.S. government, he now focuses on emergency preparedness training worldwide. Not the most fun topic of all, huh, Mike? But welcome to our show.
0: Thank you, uh, Mike P. So that I'm not confused with the other very infamous Mike Johnson, the new speaker of the house, you can now refer to me as MJ. MJ, we <laughs> <you> got it. <laughs> we got the
1: special MJ. You, Dana? <laughs> That's funny.
3: <laughs> we got the special MJ in the house. MJ, please let us know it's a little MJ bit more Mike about MJ in the house. There it is. <laughs>
2: And Mike, I think it's so, I mean, okay, it's a very serious, serious subject, but it's like the most current subject that I think is on that every single school head and teacher and parent is thinking about is site security for their schools because the world just seems like it's continuously creating new situations and putting things at the forefront that are taking away from the our main objective of teaching and learning and kind of moving things to security for our students and our faculty and staff. Thank you.
0: Thank
3: you. First question, MJ, human connection. Could you just give us a little description uh, in your own words of what that is before you describe how we can use that to even reimagine uh, school safety?
0: Yeah. Well, first let me, Dana's comment about, you know, security. And so I always look at, I use the term safety. Because security I see as a kind of a subcomponent of safety. And so the company, what we focus on is kind of that the human piece of the safety environment. And that's the kind of the social, emotional, and physical safety and security. So, you know, the idea of, and one of the reasons I do that is because there's a different connotation for security. When people think security, oftentimes you think of something like a lock or an alarm or a security guard which is absolutely part of it. But, you know, we have to sort of start thinking about overall safety and the components of safety. may be a social-emotional learning program for both kids and adults, and it may be also security and security officers and things like that. So I look at safety as you think about an like an umbrella, and the umbrella has underneath it, it's got all of these components that are holding up the umbrella. And security is just, just one of those, but so the human connection, one of the, one of the things that, that, you know, sadly, you know, as Dana mentioned, you know, things going on in the world, if you're in this business, you have to look at what has happened in the past, past tragic events, and what's going on, you know, currently. And so from that, you have to start thinking about, okay, how, how do we change this paradigm? What do we do differently to kind of change the future as, as we go forward to build a, a safe and loving community? So if you look at focusing on uh, school violence, if you look at All of the tragedies that have happened in schools, particularly in U.S. schools, uh, I know this is an international audience, and it does happen internationally, but the data exists more for the U.S. schools. If you look at the U.S. schools where there have been shootings and things, almost every single one was a failure of a human. So my point is that schools spend hundreds of millions of dollars buying security, mostly, you know, widgets, technology, metal detectors. But at the end of the day, there's no proof that anything makes a difference when it comes to actually keeping people safe. So if you take all the incidents that occurred that's been that been written about, you know, the most recent recent one in, in Nashville, where at the end of the of the event, it's determined that it was kind of a human failure. And, you know, for example, a substitute teacher doesn't know what the drill is or what the alarm means. And, you know, the substitute teacher has one response versus the correct response leads to tragedy. Someone leaves a door unlocked and the gunman gains access to the school and shoots everybody up. A classroom door, the lock is broken. And so the gunman is able to enter the, the door unopposed or without any issues because the door is unlocked because maintenance had failed to fix the door lock that had been put in the maintenance queue for two months. And so if you go through and you look at all of these incidents, time and time again, it's a human failure. So what's the cause of human failure? People are disconnected. People are stressed out. They're not trained properly. They don't know how to respond. And so when you start focusing on the the fact that, you know, the conditioning and taking care of our human capital – that's when we'll start really changing this idea of how, how schools can develop that safe and caring school community. And a lot of it just comes down to, Mike, is, is situational awareness is a word that, that I use a lot. And what is that? That can be the teacher you know, in the middle school class who's reading the room and knows that X student is having a bad day and that maybe it's to the point of that behavior as outside of what the normal parameters are for that student. So the teacher either engages or goes to the counselor and, you know, starts some kind of, if there's a needed intervention strategy. And the same goes for employees and staff members and teachers. If you have a security officer who has worked four straight days and is completely wiped out, that security officer standing on your gate at your school is not going to be able to see someone walk in with a suspicious package. So, it's that kind of taking care of the humans, socially, emotionally, and then the physical part You know, adds to that. So that's kind of my long-winded way of saying that that's why I put so much effort in the human connection because it's really, at the end of the day, that's what's gonna save lives. When humans fail, that's when things happen. Mm-hmm. When humans do what they're supposed to do or act correctly, that's when we, then we change the, the paradigm to for the better.
3: Are you an educator looking to elevate your career? Consider more than university your gateway to success in international schools. They offer fully online programs with flexible start dates and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Morley University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious U.S. teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. Visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you. MJ, talk to me more about this human failure. What is breaking down? Is it a matter of communication as not getting around properly? or people it's ignoring you know important tasks that needs to be done in a timely manner in order to feel safe. Could you speak a little bit more on that?
0: Well, I, I'll give you a good example. And I mean, Dana was in the classroom. So you probably remember these days, Dana. So you do a drill. Say you're doing an evacuation drill where they also call fire drills. So what happens is, you know, the teacher's like in the middle of testing or in the middle of doing something with the class. And then suddenly they do the emergency drill. So what is the mindset of that teacher typically? It's like, okay, let's just get this over with, go through the process, because the drill may be required by bureaucratic governmental agency. You know, like you have to, like in Florida, you have to drill every month. And so what becomes this, becomes this, okay, this is their monthly drill. So what happens is schools have to learn to create that buy-in from everybody and from a participation. So why are you doing that drill teacher? You're doing it so that, When something really happens, you know how to respond to keep your kids safe. So it's a mindset change. And it always, you know, gets me with particularly with schools. Schools are in the business of curriculum, teaching. That is your number one job in a school is to teach. And again, social, emotionally, you know, all the all the components of education, curriculum. But when it comes to that preparedness piece, schools forget about the curriculum, which there is one for how to keep your kids safe, and so there's this kind of disconnect. And I, you know, I think it's the schools where we've visited where leadership completely gets it. You'll see a model where everybody's tuned in, the drills are perfect, and so when something actually happens, those schools are going to be spot on and keeping people safe, knowing what to do. So it's just the the challenge for leaders, and and you know, you think about schools, they're busy places. Teachers are already stressed to the max. Staff members are stressed to the max. So now you're going to put something else on. Oh yeah, you got to take your kids. You know, your all your little, you know, your fourth grade uh, class, your 20 kids, and take them out to the playground for an hour because because there was a you know smoke in one of the classrooms or something. So it's this. We have to somehow address and balance, particularly with teachers. What also happens with staff members? The teachers are the ones I say teachers because they're the ones that have the bulk of the stakeholders, you know, they, and they've got, you know, anything from 18-month-olds that, you know, if you have a, a, a daycare to an 18-year-old. So you've got all of those wide range of ages that you're responsible for, be it 10, 15, 25, 30. You're the teacher. So, but you're also responsible for educating them. So I think we have to, you know, change the way we look at this. And an interesting, Molly Fay and Dana were with me in, in Bogota recently at a, at a conference. And I put on a session called a teacher's role in before, during and after a disruptive event. I had standing room only. I had 40 plus people, primarily teachers in that session, which is, as I think Dana and Molly Fay would attest, that's a lot for when, you, when you're running a bunch of sessions in a conference. And what that tells me is that teachers want to learn, but they just, we haven't created that training platform or curriculum so that they can learn. And we haven't given them the focus. So as organizations, we have to, uh, and it's not just schools, it's, you know, houses of worship and businesses and, you know, events. Everybody's so focused on their, whatever their day-to-day job is, they kind of forget about that. Oh, yeah, I've got this other thing going on. And classic, you know, side story here. My wife and I were in, in Asheville Wednesday night. We just gotten there. We're on the 11th floor of a hotel at 5.15 in the morning, the fire alarm goes off. So we have to truck down. and this. 25 degrees, you know, when we're from Florida, we have to truck down the stairs, go out into the parking lot with, the, with all the other guests. But my point is that poor night person who's typically the auditor of the hotel, she probably had never done this in her life. <laughs> and now she's got a couple hundred people that can't get the elevator. So my whole thought was this poor woman is the night auditor. <laughs> and how much training has she actually ever had and what to do when there's a fire alarm at, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning. So we just don't put the proper focus. And the thing with training and drills back to that connection piece, the more energy you put into making sure everybody kind of knows what to do, then the less time eventually you have to focus on that because everybody just knows. And then, you know, with schools, what I say is how much do you drill? You drill until you get to the point where you think you have this in a real-life situation. So maybe beginning of the school year, you do a little more work, but then as you get better at it, purpose of a drill is to understand what you did well and what you need to improve on that's the whole purpose of it but schools forget that so what do we do well oh we got out on time you know what do we need to work on well you know the stairway was blocked but whatever it is and then the next time you do a drill you don't want to repeat the same mistakes you made the first time so it's all about capturing the data and turning that data into positive improvements again most organizations forget that piece. They just do it because it's required. And so at the end of the day, if we really want to create a safe environment, no matter where you are, just have some simple procedures, have some practice, have some drills, get everybody engaged. And, and by the way, I say this to schools, if you're going to do a drill a particular day and your campus resiliency team or crisis management team, whatever you want to call it, what I say is before you do the drill, have a little circle with your team. How's everybody feeling today? Maybe somebody says, you know what? I don't feel that well. You know what? Why don't you sit this drill out? So become aware of that sort of how people are feeling and that over time. And you do the same thing across the board and the same thing after the drill. How did everybody do? Get that feedback. How did you feel, Dana, when you went through that with your second graders? What can we improve on? How did your students feel? You know, so it's all about that, you know, maintaining that human connection, making sure our human capital is protected and, and trained.
2: I think you bring up a really good point too, because I know, so I've sat in the role of either being the teacher or a school leader in a school during these drills, right? And I'm never really certain who's in charge of deciding how that should go. And that's hard, I think, as a teacher, because so it probably doesn't surprise you that I'm a huge rule follower. I like to read the rules and follow them, right? So I always was like absolute silence during a drill we walk to wherever we have to go. We do not talk as a class. We take it very seriously. Even if we know it was going to happen, we take it seriously and we do this and we do this and we do this and we do this. Right. But I then see if the classroom across the hall from me isn't following those same rules, my students, you know, like I never know who is the person that can kind of set the tone of what it should look like because it kind of trickles from there and i've seen you know facility managers sometimes do it heads of school sometimes do it principals sometimes do it but half the time those three people and i think those are maybe the three main people don't seem to have the same idea of how it should be executed
1: as an educational professional you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture and you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators SENYA international is that community Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification, program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A International.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world.
0: Well, it's interesting because I learned this with a career in law enforcement, and I've taken thousands of hours of leadership training. And remember when, what was it, the 80s or 90s, when it was like, you know, the whole movement, Dana, uh, with the empowerment of your employees and, you know, seeking feedback. And, you know, what, what was the, the catchword? Uh It was like the Covey stuff, you know, like Stephen Covey stuff. And so but what I learned was, In law enforcement and security, and exactly to your point, you really have to have a hierarchy. It's very difficult for the people who are being led through a a disruptive situation if they don't know someone who's in charge. So this is the one time where you kind of have to have a hierarchy. Someone has to be in charge and say, "Okay, Dana just said we're doing this. Not have what did Dana said, but Mike said something different. So it's like you have to have that hierarchy. Someone has to be in charge of that. And I know it's a, I even find myself having a difficult time saying that word in charge because you think about the empowerment. But really, people need to see that leader. And, you know, they need to know, okay, that person is making those life decisions, life changing decisions during this disruptive event. So I think that's probably what we're saying is it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if the head of school. The, the facilities manager, the business manager, the athletic director, it doesn't matter as long as that person has the capacity and capability to lead during a disruptive event that people will, will look up to and say, okay, I'll follow Mike through the end of the earth because mm-hmm. Mike knows what he's doing. It, so it doesn't matter what the position is. The position at the time of, of running a drill or a real disruptive event is leadership, calm. And I say this all the time to heads of school. It's like, if you're a head of school, but you you can't stand the sight of blood, we, we all know our own physical – we all have things that we know we're not good at or we can't handle emotionally or socially, whatever. Just say the head of school passes out at the sight of blood. Could be the best educator in the world. There's no way I would want that head of school to be the head of the, the crisis team because if there's an earthquake and people are bleeding, <laughs> right? So it's kind of like know yourself. Right. Check yourself and say, you know what, I'm the head of school, but I'm going to have Dana be my crisis leader because Dana is calm under pressure and Dana doesn't pass out of the side. So it's kind of setting the ego aside. And and this is difficult for leaders to say, well, what do you mean? I'm the head of the school. The board made me accountable. Yeah, but, you know, you're, you're going to probably fail when there's actually blood. Right. So it's that empowering, delegating that, that authority to someone who can actually do the job. And I, and I have no qualms about it. I've seen athletic directors who are like big schools, like that should be your head of your crisis team right there. That athletic director has it down.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: it's that there's the corporate ego being the school ego, and then there's the individual ego, right? So if the corporate ego is such that the head goes, well, I have 4,000 kids in my school, I can't be seen as have, having the athletic director being the head of the crisis team, but a true, true leader would say, you know what? That's the right person for this. So I think that's a long-winded way of answering, I think, your question is that the, the teachers need to know, okay, who's in charge? Who do I listen to? And, oh no! by the way, if Mike's in charge, but Mike is out today, but we know Molly Faye is the next one up, she's in charge. And we know that. So it's either Mike or Molly Faye. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of that sets that. So anyway, long-winded way of saying you have to have a hierarchy, you have to have a leader, a backup, and someone that the teachers and everybody can say, oh, yeah, that person is yeah.
2: I wonder, have schools, do you know, do schools have, so this past weekend I volunteered for like an event at a regatta that I was at, right? But they made me wear this really kind of dorky hat the whole time. But then everyone knew who to go to. Like everyone Mm -hmm. knew who to ask questions to. And if I didn't know the answer, I could be like, I don't know the answer, go ask that guy in the yellow hat. Or I could say, hey, these are the rules. I may, may not have made them, but this is what we are all abiding by, right? And it was really kind of helpful because I was like, okay, so they knew who to ask and they knew I wasn't just some person standing there. I was like a parking lot, you know, helper. I mean, it wasn't a big, important job, but it was because we had trailers full of these massive boats coming in. And it actually was about safety because there were all these kids and all these universities running around. And then I'd have a trailer with 10 boats on it. I'm like, you got to watch out for the trailers. They will run you down and they're bigger than the rest of us. So I wonder, do schools actually have like, I'm trying to think. One of the schools I was at, and I can't remember which one, had something that you physically put on. I think it was at American Embassy School of Delhi. So you knew who to follow. You knew yeah. who was in charge at that moment because, like you said, like a person could be out, right? So then that you knew the next person in command, and you just kind of knew what to look for in that situation. Did school, yeah. do that? or is that old
0: school? No, no, no. It's it's. I mean, that's one. When we do our assessments, very few schools do it, but one of our Big, big recommendations, you know, to mitigate vulnerabilities is to everybody on the team and the backups should wear like a colored vest, so to distinguish you. The you could be the parking lot lady, or you could be the you know you could be the crisis team, but you know, you know, fluorescent orange or fluorescent you know yellow, green, whatever, so that in a mass of eight hundred people, oh, there's a crisis team member right there. So yes, a means to identify and. We even do that, like, you know, we do work with Houses of Worship, and it's the same thing. We want ushers and safety people wearing a colored lanyard so that the minister or the whoever's doing the service can see out there and see, okay, there's my identified, because, you know, like, we use uh, fluorescent orange. And so that becomes an identifier, either from behind or from the front. So when you look at a mass of people, you see some color. Ah, that's the person that's going to help me do whatever is going on. Nice. So.
2: Oh. MJ, as Mike mentioned at the top of the podcast, he called me the voice of the audience because sometimes when folks send in questions, I have the privilege of asking them. So one that's being presented to you today asks, how do you envision the future of school safety considering the importance of human relationships and comprehensive well-being?
0: Well, that's an easy one. I get this question a lot. So uh, bear with me. I start with four-year-olds. Because four-year-olds, right, Dana, four-year-olds is where you're starting to really exhibit kind of who you are and, you know, your social, emotional, all of that is starting to really come into fruition, your ego, right, at four. So if we start with four-year-olds and we teach them how to be socially, emotionally secure to create a caring school environment, and we follow that through their entire life in school, every grade they're in, every athletic class they're in or any football team they're in or whatever, they're having that same caring, loving environment. Nobody's bullied. Nobody's picked on. Nobody's ostracized. Nobody's picked on because their shoes are ragged. And by the 20 years later or 15 years later, those who might have the propensity to go commit violence, it's going to be much smaller because we've actually been able to then identify those and then get the treatments and things like that. So that's that's my utopian utopian view of because you think about the people who are committing these horrendous crimes, be it at schools, lab events, businesses, church, anywhere else, they've got something going on. And typically it tracks back to, oh, well, when they were in school, they were bullied. They were picked on. The the shooter in Uvalde was poor and they picked on him because his clothes were ugly and you know he wore hand me downs and his shoes had holes in them and his behaviors were odd. And and so the kids being kids, if they don't know any better, if they haven't been taught about actual caring school community, they're just going to be kids because they're goes Like, well, I can I'm bigger than you, I can beat you up or whatever. So it really that's why I'm such a big proponent of social emotional learning, because that is one example of a program where you literally at the earliest ages, you start teaching what are proper rules of behavior. We see it in you know in workplace violence, adults. You know, years ago in Virginia Beach, a guy killed twelve people, coworkers. Turns out he had been bullied, severely bullied in work. Adults severely bullied. That's just crazy. So yeah, is that is that my answer? To you? It's like that's my utopian view. Is we start with four girls.
3: Absolutely, <laughs> Mike.
4: Hi everyone, this is Aaron Monez, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens. My name is Scott Jameson and I'm the Global Collaborations lead for Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at existing units through the lens of empathy to impact, and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice, and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to co-design student leadership programs. Another way that we support educators is through our global citizenship certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today. At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future. We look forward to working with you, and we hope that together our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future.
2: Mike, do you know of any schools or can you give us some examples of some schools that are doing really well at this and have a really strong social emotional learning program in place that really benefits both the students and staff? Like who's doing, you don't have to say the names, but like maybe even just
0: examples of some schools that are doing it really well. You know, we go to a lot of schools, international schools and others. And sadly, I think really, Dana, is that what you'll hear because we always talk to counselors. And I've been in schools that have 12 counselors, you know, big schools. And it's really, really rare to find a school that has an actual social emotional learning curriculum. So, so in other words, it's baked into the teaching components so that when the teachers are are teaching reading, it has a SEL component to it. And so it's so rare. And, and what we see probably 90 percent of the time is schools, you'll ask that question and they'll say, oh, yeah, we have SEL. Well, what is it? Well, we have advisories, and we have our own. Our sort of uh, the counselor spends 20 minutes, you know, in a class, and they're in each class once a month. No, that's not what we want. What we want is we want a. And I'm not an SEL expert, but I know enough. And my wife actually is an SEL expert. I know enough to know that what you want is teachers when they're teaching, they're incorporating SEL components into that, you know, so if you're teaching reading, maybe you do it in in partners, you do it in a morning circle, you know, all of these strategies. So they're using, they're using SEL strategies in the classroom. Here's what happens. Teachers say, I don't want any more work. And counselors like, I don't want to give up my SEL. That's my program. Time out. It's really about those four year olds and old, you know, so sadly, Dana, it's rare to see a school. I mean, we went back and looked at our last 30 Uh, audits where we did schools be hard-pressed to find any of them that didn't have some comment about that, uh, you know, they need to look at their SEL program because, and heads of school kind of get it, but it's the, it's that the resistance of staff, particularly on both sides. we got teachers. I don't want to do that. Counselors, I don't want to give it up. So.
2: In a previous school I was at, and I do think that part of it was because of my kid, but my one child kept going to the nurse, having all kinds of issues and constantly at the health office, right? And so when they were redesigning the school in some of the different office spaces, she advocated to be for the nurse's office to be right next to the counseling office. And she's like, because 90% of the times you come to me with a physical health issue, it's really a mental health issue. And my kid was having anxiety attacks. And she's like, the counselors need to see who's coming. Why are they coming? What are they doing? And it needs to be integrated in. To the entire curriculum. And that's one of those transdisciplinary skills that everyone thinks it's someone else's job. It's like the stepchild, right? Like, oh, no, counseling can do it. Or they'll pass it off to PE sometimes. Oh, PE, they can handle SEL. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, why are we like always like shoving it off to someone else or homeroom? And then homeroom teachers are like, (laughs) oh, I was hired to teach high school chem. What do I know about social emotional learning? Right. And it seems to be this thing that gets passed off. But I do think there's such a strong, link in between that really kind of aligning some, like I said, that last school where they put the nurse's office right in the counseling office. So they saw them as they started to work together as a team. And it was really helpful.
0: Yeah. Cause I think a lot of times what happens is if you have some social emotional issue going on and it's going to manifest itself in the physical, and if you're a young person, you may not understand that, that whole idea of manifestation of what, you know, that something else is actually driving that you know, anxiety is making you, your heart beat faster or making it where you yeah. don't feel like you breathe. You don't realize as a young person that, oh, it's anxiety. It's actually the way your brain is working right now, you know, you, the whatever's causing it, fear or whatever it is. So, yeah. I mean, I've seen, you know, you go to, cause we always talk to the nurses or doctors also, and you'll say, oh, how many, how many kids do you see today? Oh, I see, I see, example, I see 60 kids a day in the nurse's office. Okay. And about 10% of those are trip and falls, kid bump, you know, bumped is, and the rest are some kind of, you know, something where, so I agree with you. I mean, what a great idea It's like put the counselors co-located with the, almost in a, a medical suite type thing, where if the nurse or the doctor continues to see the same, and, I, and you hear this, you hear this about, oh, you know, so-and-so every day, you know, goes to the nurse's office because he likes the nurse or she likes the nurse, or there's something going on. And, you know, this also gets into the sort of the whole child safeguarding thing, those kinds of stuff. But yeah, I, I think that's a great idea.
3: MJ, MJ, thank you, thank you. But I have to step in here. You know, you've been dropping a lot of points here, MJ, but it looks like the game is over. So, Mike P, give me, give me, I'm just on a roll, man. Let
0: Let me get going here, buddy. Come on.
3: No, I want to thank you so much for the insight that you're giving. I know this is not the brightest and joyous topic to talk about, but it is important. So thank you for the insights that you just gave. If you can give individuals where they can find you, whether it's social media, website, or email, that would be great.
0: Yeah, just uh, they can just do info at clearpathepm.com.
3: All right.
2: And I just want to point out that MJ will be teaching another course with us in the spring. So we will have more to come and more to learn. And notes. at least, at least, though, we've been talking about a whole nother thing, too. So we might have more than that coming up.
0: Well, were you there as an aside, Molly Fain? I think we're the you and I were talking to Liz about doing the the teacher thing, right? I don't think yeah. that was it.
2: we're yeah, going to do that. We're going yeah. we to yeah. figure it out, dates, but we're going to chat more after this.
0: Yeah. Awesome. As you can
3: see, ISS has more things in the works for the educators. Thank you, Mike, so much uh, for sharing your valuable insights experience with us today. It's been a pleasure having you on EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything. I don't know if Molly Faye or Dana has any last words before I say bye-bye to the listeners and to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, please be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share AMA with your educator friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep making a positive impact in the world of education. Until next time, bye-bye fellow educators.